very shortly after Michelle and I were married in Houston, Texas. We began making our plans to travel to Pasadena, California, where that fall she would begin teaching high school Spanish and I would begin seminary. We called up uh, a U-Haul, got the, U, the, the rental agreement made, and eventually went to, to pick up our U-Haul that would contain all of our earthly belongings, which at that point were basically a bunch of wedding gifts. We showed up at the U-Haul place to get this truck that was going to take us 1,546 miles from Houston to Pasadena, and the mileage on this particular U-Haul truck had 212,000 miles. The seats were torn, the yellow foam was visibly coming out in a number of spots. We thought nothing of it. We were not only new to marriage, quite frankly, we were new to adulthood. And our guiding assumption was that these folks at U-Haul, they know that we're trying to get to Los Angeles, they would not rent us something that couldn't get us there. We packed the U-Haul. We launch out early August 2004. We're driving across Texas, New Mexico, Arizona. We probably should have picked up on the early, the warning signs fairly early. The very first time I tried to, to look out the, the passenger side rear view mirror, I realized it was wobbling like crazy. And we looked and there was a paper clip wound around the bottom of it, holding it so it didn't wobble even more. This meant Michelle became the rearview mirror. Every time we wanted to get over, she had to roll down her window, look back, and make sure that it was clear to get over. As you all know, West Texas in August, we ran that AC, and it worked. It worked okay. But for some reason, it dumped inordinate amounts of water into Michelle's passenger side floor when it was on. So she had to sit cross-legged the entire trip to avoid this, this pool that flooded there every day. As the sun began to set on our very first day of the, the, the drive, the, the whole U-Haul it just started to die. Fortunately, I felt the death coming, and I managed to, to coast with just enough power to one of the very few exits in West Texas and, and even rolled into a service station. Well, they said they could have it up and running by morning, and we went and stayed at the only hotel available on that exit. We were off and running by by that next morning, and then the the same thing. As the sun began to set and we turned on the lights to the U-Haul, the power started to die near the end of the day, and and, and once more I was able to to coast with just enough to, to a rare New Mexico exit with a service station. In this case, some wonderful strangers helped us push the U-Haul the final hundred yards into that service station where, 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 again, they were able to have us up and going by the next morning. Once more, same thing, we're heading into Tucson, Arizona, where we plan to stay with my great uncle for, for our third night. We coast in on fumes. The U-Haul is dying again, miraculously making it just one exit from my great uncle's place. He's able to come pick us up, feed us with a wonderful meal, a a, a wonderful uh, place to to stay for the night, and and, and another service station is able to tend to this U-Haul and tells us we will make it to Los Angeles in this ridiculous vehicle. 
And then a hundred miles outside of Los Angeles, sort of that Palm Springs area, smoke starts rising from the engine right in front of us. And somehow, miraculously, the whole thing dies just, just a few miles from a huge U-Haul center and we're able to just coast into it. We arrive and, and they tell us two things right off the bat. One, they cannot believe this was ever rented to us. And two, this U-Haul will never drive again. They let us know they are going to give us $100 to cover the fact that in 100-degree desert California heat, we will be moving all of our stuff out of the old U-Haul and into the newer one that they are going to give us for the last leg of the journey. We, at 22, had just enough youthful energy and perhaps enough ignorance to say, let's go for it. 100 bucks. We moved everything out and drank water after water that they gave us from that U-Haul place. We started out our final 100 miles in that 2002 U-Haul truck with a non-leaking air conditioning unit, with working rearview mirrors, with a turn dial that actually could tune into the radio station. Felt like a luxury SUV. It's a story with broken parts. It's a story with delays. It's a story with frustrations. It's, it's a story actually with some real danger that we probably were not fully aware of at the time. And it's also a story somehow of perfect provision, which is to say it is a Psalm 23 story. Psalm 23, as you all well know, is so, so famous, so poetically beautiful, so so sacred when read at those poignant moments in the face of death. But sometimes we miss that most fundamentally, Psalm 23 is a psalm about God's provision on the journey of life. And you can hear the journey language really throughout once you start looking for it. Though I walk through the valley, or, or, or just right at the outset, we read about the, the shepherd, the good shepherd leading us by waters, leading us in right paths. The Hebrew words there are, are direct allusions to the Exodus story, as summarized in Exodus fifteen thirteen. In your steadfast love, you led the people whom you redeemed. You guided them by your strength to your abode. It's the same thing when we read that, that line about, I shall not want, or literally, I lack nothing. Those words purposely allude to, to Deuteronomy 2.7, which states that during the 40 years in the wilderness after the Israelites went through the parted seas and they wandered to and fro, even so the people, quote, lacked nothing. Or again, we read about God who prepares a table in the presence of my enemies. That's the same language used in Psalm 78 to talk about God's leading the people through the, the dangers of the Exodus wilderness where the Lord, quote, prepared a table in the wilderness. And then once more, there are the images of the rod and staff in Psalm 23, which scholars debate whether that's two separate items or, or, or one item with two descriptions. Either way, the image immediately brings to mind Moses' staff, which, through which the power of God was made known in that Exodus story. Quickly, we can start to hear the not-so-subtle illusion going on in Psalm 23. David is not 
trying to write pie-in-the-sky beautiful poetry here. David is using language that his original hearers would have recognized as Exodus story language. It's as if David is saying, think about the Exodus story. Has not God provided us an exit of replenishment and a nourishment in the desert every time in just the right way, at just the right time? And really, when it came down to it, isn't it true that we really did lack nothing? For we had God. David wants his language to prompt his hearers to think back to the Exodus story and then also their own specific Exodus story going on right then and there, the kind of stories that give real texture to the promises of Psalm 23, the U-Haul stories. And then David is perfectly clear if it's difficult to figure out what those concrete lived expressions of the stories are right now. The good shepherd stories of God's faithfulness, they are the ones that take place in the valleys, in the presence of evil, in the presence of enemies. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, as we know, that memorable phrase. The literal translation is, even though I I walk through the valley of deepest darkness. That certainly includes when we confront death itself, but that also speaks of walking through the valley of all of death's cousins, right? Addiction, injustice, pain, loneliness, emptiness, anxiety, uncertainties, the cross itself. These valleys are the settings for the Good Shepherd's stories. And David makes it clear that the provision of God does not happen by taking God's people out of the wilderness, taking them off of the arid highway and safely over here. God does not fix every leak, does not fix every broken mirror in the valley of the deepest darkness. You are with me. And lest we're unclear on that point, we can move from verse 4 about the valley of the deepest darkness to verse 5 where we can see how God deals with the enemies who are in our midst. This is a good shepherd who does not pull the people into some ethereal realm, some neighborhood or social media enclave or affiliation where all the people think alike and vote alike and are agreeable. This good shepherd does not pull people into a church where everybody is faithful and well-mannered and just so as they should be. This is a good shepherd that does not pull people away from the annoying or, or mean co-worker or family member or the person who said that or did that. You prepare a meal for me in the presence of my enemies. I confess with that U-Haul, the entire time I just wanted to get through this 1,546-mile journey from Houston to Pasadena. Initially, each misstep, each frustration, each breakdown, it was just another headache to get through. Just push through, find a way, get to the destination. And my sense is there may be many of us with that sentiment going on right now for any number of reasons. It's this many days until finally the move, the announcement, the the, the documents are signed, and then we'll, 
will be there. This many weeks in rehab, this many weeks with the treatment, and then we'll be there. This many dollars until we can, this many months until finally, this many countywide vaccinations until we're there. Or maybe we don't know how to mark some of the distances that, that, that are in front of us, and maybe our plea right now is just how long? How long with these people, this person, this issue? What is it with all of these stalls and, and, and these breaks? And the temptation can be just, just to get through, push through, find a way to the destination. And yet, do you know what the center of Psalm 23 is? There are exactly 26 words before and 26 words after. The phrase that sits right in the middle, You are with me. Those are the words that sit at the center of the psalm because it is the central truth of the journey. You are with me. What if instead of trying to get through this, past this, over this, even just somehow get out of the mess altogether, what if we recognize that really it is right here in the valley, right here in the presence of evil, right here in the presence of my enemies, that the good shepherd is present, is leading, is calling, is feeding, is loving. What if in the valley of all places we leaned in all the more attentively looking for God, trusting ours is a God whose glory was revealed most fully in the darkest of dark valleys, trusting really this is exactly the kind of place where our good shepherd shows up with life. What if we leaned in with that kind of attentiveness? regardless of the exit we're on. The psalm gives us, I think, a hint of what happens when we lean that way. The psalm you heard begins with, with David talking about God in third person. The Lord is my shepherd. He makes me to lie down. He leads me. But then once David actively recognizes God's presence in the valley, did you notice? There's a shift. You are with me. Your rod, and your, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me. There's a move from third person to second person voice. There's a new intimacy to the journey. There's this sense that, that, that God's presence and proximity is no longer just a, a third-person theological truth. God is there. But, but now, recognizing the lived experience of, of God, the psalmist says, there, there you are, God. There you are. And the moment we begin speaking this way, in this intimate second-person space, the moment we begin praying this way, the moment we begin discerning this kind of space in the midst of the journey, this is the moment we begin the journey of 1,546 miles deep. 
That's the moment where we begin discovering life and life abundant in this terrain. That's the moment we begin to sense ourselves being truly formed, nourished, led, and anchored here. Regardless of what comes in the next miles in this direction. Henry Nouwen, the 20th century Catholic priest and author, once wrote a short book on leadership towards the end of the 20th century called In the Name of Jesus. It's it's one of my favorites, and in it he tries to imagine what it's going to take for leaders in the 21st century, his Christian leader in particular, as he he sees the, the significant amount of change and complexity on the horizon. What do leaders need to be about And he says this at one point in his book, and I think it goes for Christian leaders, but truly all who follow Jesus. Christian leaders cannot simply be persons who have well-informed opinions about the burning issues of their times. Speaking in third person about, you know, who God is and what God does and does not stand for. No, he says... Christian leadership must be rooted in the permanent, intimate relationship with the incarnate word, Jesus. And they need to find there the source of their words, advice, guidance. Now and sees the most critical thing is not better informed people, not people with the most amount of data given all the complex possibilities that might happen on this journey, not people with with the most amount of resources given the many ways this journey might veer off. The critical thing for navigating the extreme unknowns, the complexities, the valleys, the critical thing is a people truly formed. The kind, of, the kind of formation that happens in that second person space. You, God. The kind of formation that's far more about paying attention to the depth of each given moment and what the Spirit is doing, more so than projecting about the miles yet ahead. It's the kind of formation that, that looks upon the current empty fumes or, or the water rising again or the smoke blowing from what was the heartbeat of the whole thing. And does not simply say, well, well how will we ever get there now? But, but also, and even more attentively ask, so where are you in this, God? How are you leading? What are you teaching? I do believe this actually is precisely the setting for your kind of story, the precisely the space wherein your people are formed all the more fully in your likeness. And that really is the thing about drawing closer and closer to the center of Psalm 23 and recognizing for ourselves, you are with me. The people in that space find themselves more and more formed by the Good Shepherd such that they themselves become more and more a Good Shepherd people. The kind of, of people who all the more readily provide that extra push for others broken down on the journey. The kind of people who, who, who provide all the more a warm meal and a shelter for, for others who have hit yet another dead end. The kind of people who are all the more fully and regularly water in the desert for others on the journey.
May we know the nearness of the good shepherd upon our journey, regardless of what exit. And in knowing that, may we find ourselves faithfully and fully formed, discovering that really it's through us that still others on the journey will know the nearness of the Good Shepherd. Amen.